Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. All right, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 16, 18, we're going old school, King James Version. Who loves the King James Version? You're the one like anybody else reads anything but that. It's the wrong version. You know, I, I did that. They're like, get that King James Version. Uh, here's what the King James Version says. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. Everybody say my church. My church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Stop. If you've been here for a few weeks, we have been trying to communicate that the church that God has created is not my idea, it's not your idea, it's Jesus' idea. And Jesus' is standard for the church. He doesn't want a bad church. A bad church is going to come in and flip some tables, make a whip, and drive out some things. Okay, we saw that in the Gospels. He doesn't want a bad church, so the bad church actually makes him want to puke. But God doesn't even just want a good church. He raised the bar. He wants a great church. He comes into our life, and he says, I don't want you to have a bad life. I don't want you to have a good life. He goes, I've come to give you an abundant life. The Greek word is superabundance. I came to give you a great life. And as you talk to believers, you start to see that a lot of us do settle for just a good life, an okay life, or a good church, or an okay church. But man, this series, I pray that it's inspired you that you're called to have a great life and be a part of a great church. Can I get an amen? Here's what Peter says. I thought that we're closing out the series. I thought it'd be fun to... Uh, share a sermon from the very first sermon of the very first church in church history. How cool is that, right? It's in the Bible. It's in Acts 2. The church births in Acts 2 in this amazing moment where thousands of people come to know the Lord. And here's a part of what Peter says in his message. Okay, ready? It's in Acts 2, 36 through 40. It's going to be on the screen. Feel free to read it. Here we go. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made their Jesus, this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. So what's going on right now is, People are getting saved. They're going, what's happening? How did this happen? And Peter boldly proclaims the gospel message. And he says, here's how this happened. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? So now they're like, man, I think I want this Jesus. I think I want what you are telling me. I think I want it. Please, please like, like, how do I do this? And he goes on to say, each of you must repent of your sins. Everybody say repent. Man, it's a gross word to somebody who has been in a religious life, but if you actually love the Lord and know Jesus, repentance is one of the greatest invitations from God. Repentance really is saying, turn away from some gross junk food. You've been eating out of a trash can. I'm inviting you to come eat to Ruth Chris with me. That's a great invitation. Can we agree with that? Repent. Stop eating as a vegetarian and become a carnivore with me. Repent. <laughs> this is the invitation that we have from our God. Be a vegetarian. It's cool. But he's inviting us, and Peter is just repeating what Jesus would always say. Come, oh, the world, it, the world wants hate, the kingdom wants love. The world wants division, the kingdom wants oh, unity. The world wants to beat you down, Jesus wants to build you up. Come repent, be a part of something special. So he invites him to repent and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Man, you will not be able to do life in your own strength, not by might, not by strength, but by his spirit. This is a big deal. Some of you really competent people that have done a lot on your own, you think you can keep going on your own, you're going to find the end of yourself at one moment, and the answer is always the Holy Spirit. goes on to say, this promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, and all those who have been called uh, by the Lord our God. That would be us. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. And this is, this is, again, you don't hear this preached on Sundays a lot. Strongly urging all his listeners Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Can you imagine like coming to church in a past? Like, all right, welcome to church. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. That'd be a, whoa, what's he talking about? 
But to them, they knew exactly what he was saying. It's one of the greatest statements, I believe, in Acts 2 and when the church was birthed. Crooked, in uh, the NLT version, you'll, you'll see uh, wicked in other ones, but really none of the words give it justice to the Greek word of what he was saying. Because when he was saying this to the people, it wasn't actually this like, how dare you say this crooked? How dare you say it's wicked? What he's saying is simply this. Save yourself from this world that has everything falling apart. Everything, if, if you live in the world, just watch your life. Watch a marriage, watch dreams, watch what this world does to people. It just makes them fall apart. Basically what happened to man, if I could use a Thanksgiving illustration, who loves turkey, raise your hand. I hate it, I'm allergic, but whatever. Um, it's like taking a turkey out of the oven. And at first, the turkey out of the oven is fantastic. But leave the turkey there just out in the elements of the kitchen for just an hour, and two hours. Leave it there for a day. Leave it there for two days. Leave it there for four days. And then in a week, would you want to eat that turkey if it was just sitting on the table for a week? I hope that's a no. I believe we have a smart church. The turkey would actually become poison. And what happened is Adam and Eve came out of the covering of God, and they went to the world, and everything fell apart. And things became toxic. Marriages became toxic. Racial division happened because the way we saw people became toxic. Women were being oppressed because the way that mankind was looking at um, different sexes and races, it became toxic. And Peter was saying, the world is having everything fall apart. Save yourself from this. The kingdom of God does the opposite of have things fall apart. It restores everything that's been broken. It builds upon what God has already done. Be born again. Have a new beginning. What an invitation. What an invitation to you and I to say, man, I want to leave what is falling apart in my life and walk to the thing that can actually restore my life. And as I pray for the message real quick, I want you to hear this real quick. The making of a great church. How did this happen is the title. How did Mission Church happen? How did the church happen? We're going to talk about that today. And how does the church keep moving forward? We bow our heads. God, we thank you for what you're doing uh, again in this series. I believe that you are raising the bar in all of our lives to have a higher expectation and a higher belief of what you want from our life and what you want from the church. And so, Father, as we go into the Make a Great Church, how did this happen? Lord, may we understand that we have a role to play, that we have a part to play in your church. Lord, we love you. We love you. Everybody said? So we're actually going to play a video in just a second. And uh, I was just give a little context to this video. If you haven't been here for a while, we're about a year and a half, 17 months old, year and a half. And... Uh, we are, were invited to this really cool kind of gathering, a bunch of pastors, church planners, and they asked uh, me and a handful of church planners to share our story. They said, can you bring a video or some pictures, and can you share it at the thing? And so we shared this video at the thing, and the pastor was running, and was like, that doesn't encourage people, that depresses them. <laughs> like, he's like, good luck, church planners, that's how it's supposed to work in a year. It's, uh, I mean, in the sense of what's happened here has been unbelievably special. And what happened that, that weekend was everybody would come up to me and say, how did that happen? How'd it happen? But, well, let me tell you my top five ways I did this. Uh, everybody circle around, sit at my feet, and I will teach you my wisdom. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I hate not having an answer to a question, but that was at one of those moments. And it made me kind of go on a journey and kind of ask the Lord even kind of how this series kind of birthed is the making of a great church. And what I want to do today is I want to kind of share a celebration message, but also one that would let us know that God's just getting started. And when I say, how did this happen? I want to show before a picture real quick. Show before. This is when we first started. 27 people. Now show after. This was this last Sunday. And this is after. So how does, who, who doesn't love the before and after pictures like with like fitness stuff? Like, you know, like, I was like, huh, and now I'm like, huh, you know, and then people are like, I'll take one, you know, and um, oh, I think we love the before and after picture. 
We love it. Like, like uh, uh, it could be anything. You're watching uh, a new cleaning product. You know, the kitchen was like this before, and now look at it after. What they didn't show you was the hours of people actually scrubbing everything down and getting the kitchen clean. And what I would ask you to understand and that I want to understand as we go forward is James 1, 3, and 4 is really trying to tell us something about the church, but also about your life. Because some of you right now, if I could be honest, you're in the before picture still. Your life is in the before picture. You don't want to show anybody the after. You're in the middle of a train wreck. Your life has been something that you were like, man, is this going to be anything? How am I going to do anything I'm supposed to do? This is what my life looks like. But man, I want my life to look like this, this picture. How do you get from here to here? James 3, 3 and 4 says this. 1 through 4 says this. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces. Everybody say produces. Man, we got million-dollar dreams but $100 work ethics. Man, we got million-dollar dreams but $100 prayer ethics. Man, we got $100 dreams, but we're way too, million-dollar dreams, but we're way too busy to invest in actually our dream. We invest in everything else but our dream. Are you willing to actually allow faith and testing to produce in your life what God wants to produce in your life? Goes on to say, faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Finish its work. How many people in the house, including myself, I ask myself, has perseverance not been able to finish what it's supposed to do in my life because I quit? It's like, the, it's like the author of James. God is pleading with us, just let me finish my work in your life. Do not quit. Keep persevering. Let me finish what I'm trying to do in your life. goes on to say, and it gets even better, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Who doesn't want to lack anything? I like that, that promise. Three people, you have it. The rest of you just missed out, okay? <laughs> Raise your hand. Who doesn't want to lack anything? Yeah, come on, 930, you got it. This is such a powerful verse of what it's saying, the before and after, because when I look at the before and after, I see this celebration. But also when I saw the before and after and I was watching the video, I, would, I was going back to memories in our house where we were praying on the, uh, in the living room and, and me waking up by myself at 6 a.m. and reaching my hands over the region and bowing my head off saying, God, you're going to revive this place. Lord, there's only 20-something people, but you're going to add to your, your church. You're going to reach people that are going to be reached. I can't do it, Lord. I'm just along for the ride. I'd have times where I'd walk into our office and my wife would be laying on the floor crying. And then I'd be like, God, is this worth it? Is this worth it? The, cr the crushing feeling we have when we get a phone call from somebody because they'd be angry, like, I'm out of here. And then it would just break us, especially when you have 30 people and you lose two. You feel like you lost a thousand. Here's what I know. It's worth it. It's worth it. But how do you not quit? How do you not quit when you get a bad phone call? How do you not quit when the week doesn't work out the way it's supposed to? How do you stay faithful to what God called you to stay faithful with? And I believe there's a handful of things I want to share with you. And this just isn't even how a church becomes a church, but I believe it's how you become everything God called you to be. And one of the first things that you need in your life, and the church needs a life, of how this is going to happen, how this is going to go to the next level, and everything God wants to be, is that you've got to learn how to talk. You've got to learn how to process. You've got to learn how to speak life. And here's what I mean by that. Turn your Bibles to Numbers 13. Numbers 13. Now, to give context to this is God has promised the people of Israel. I mean, you got to think, over a million people, hundreds of thousands of thousands of thousands of people leave Egypt. Uh, God splits the Red Sea, plagues, shows them his power, who he is, makes his promise. Keep marching. I'm going to take you to your promise. Who wants the promise? Yeah, there's a the hand raised. I was, yeah, you learned. You're like, I want the promise. I'm not going to put my hand down and lose it. You know what I'm saying? Um, we want the promise. So he wants the promise. He goes, I'm going to give it to you. But here's the deal. There is going to be a journey for the promise. There's going to be endurance needed for the promise. There's going to be, if I could put it this way, valleys on the way to the promise. I don't know why we lie to ourselves and think the promise is, if I could be honest, um, you've heard me talk about this. I hate flying right now, so I was Googling. Any other way to travel to another destination? 
If you want to know, I can tell you. One is there, there's a new company, Luxury Buses, a Wi-Fi. They'll drive you places. Cargo Ship's another one if you want to go international. I was like, what? It's like $100 a day. Um, I was trying to find out if anyone was developing the Star Trek thing where you just push the button and then you buzz there. We're not even close, okay? Um, but what I want in my life is I want some way to travel and get to my destination without even feeling any of the inconvenience of it. I think a lot of us want that. A lot of us just want to push a button, bam, before and after picture. Bam, look at my life now. Bam, oh my gosh, I prayed one prayer and it's all better. No, it's a journey. And for you not to quit, you need to be around people that are going to speak life and not death, that are going to encourage and not discourage. And here's what I mean by that. In Numbers 13, the promise is right before him. They're there. They send out scouts. They're so close. And here's what happens. Let's read it. It's a lot of reading, but please bear with me. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from land. This was a report to Moses. We entered the land you sent to us to explore. It is indeed bountiful, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But, everybody say but. This is where you just want to tell the people like, shut up, stop talking. Um, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites living in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, a bunch of ites, okay, the Canaanites, let's, let's fast forward. But Caleb tried to quiet the people and stood before Moses, let's go at once and take the land, he said, we can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed, we can't go up against them, they are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. Stop! We saw the land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at the fruit. The, the grapes are the size of watermelons. It's, it's beautiful land. A few verses later, hey, the land, it will devour people. Which one is it? Is it flowing with milk and honey or is it a land that will devour you? One of my least favorite things I hear from pastors say about their church. Hey, I'm like, what's your favorite thing about your church? The people. What's your least favorite thing about your church? The people. Which one is it? Do you love people or do you not love people? Do you only love people when they're great or do you love people even when they're uh, misbehaving and gossiping? Which one is it? Because for me, I get it. And I'm trying to get it even more. That the people of the church, if you can't love everybody, the, the, the least of these and the most of these, the most kind person and the most annoying person, you will never ever inherit your promise. If you think your life, you can pick and choose what you're supposed to have a part of it. That's not how it works. Your land is going to come with some tilling. Your land is going to come with some fighting. It's going to come with some giants. All of us are going to have giants. Goes on to say, and he goes, all the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants. They're the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. When you have the wrong perspective, you see yourself completely different. Right now in our region, people see the church as ineffective as a grasshopper. I don't see a grasshopper. I see the most powerful thing on the planet. Napoleon once pointed at a map, and he pointed to a country and said, if awakened, this nation would shake the world. He's pointing to China at this time. He's saying, if awakened, this nation could shake the world. And I believe that if the church awakened, it could shake the world. It could shake the world. It could shake shame off of people. It could shake the things that are, the chains that are holding people back. It could shake the world, set people free, and be everything is supposed to be in the church and in the world. Goes on to say that the people were so upset, the whole community began weeping loud, and they cried all night. 
Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. And if only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Man, if you have a poor view of God, you're going to have a poor life. They have a poor view of God right now. You have to have a great view of your God. People with no faith always see the obstacle. People with faith in God always see the opportunity. There's a, there's a huge nuance there. If you, every week you see everything as just like, oh, it's terrible. Oh, obstacle, I'm done. But if you have faith in God, like, oh, God, you want to use me actually to move a mountain today? Oh, God, there's, you want to use me actually to do something I've never done today? Oh, oh, you can use me, God. goes on to say that they even have an uh, even better idea. Here's what they do. Uh, they go on to say, uh, have us die in the battle. Our wives, our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? If you've ever read the Bible, they were literally had chains around their necks. They were treated like dogs. They were in slavery and they were oppressed. Have you ever been around somebody who just has a terrible idea? Like this guy's like in front of all the, like in front of all the church, like in front of all of Israel. All right, I got an idea. Let's go back to the place where we had the chains, you know, and they treat us like dogs and we worked all day and we just ate like, uh, like onions and leeks and stuff. Who wants to go back there? And everybody's like, that's, that's an option. And here's why. Because so many people find comfort in their past instead of excitement for their future. They find comfort in their, actually their bondage at times because at least they know what they're going to get. But man, if you actually understood what your future had for you and that your better days are ahead of you, I heard somebody say, it was very simple, but you need to stop hanging out with people that remind you of your past and start hanging out with people that remind you of your future. There's something powerful about that. The people that you're around, the people that speak life around you, they're going to affect everything. This is what happened. Some people wanted the promise, but they were around the wrong people. You do the word count on this verse real quick. 300 plus words are in this chapter. 350. So 30 words are about the good, and 330 are about the bad. Ten negative words, one positive word. Ten things about how big the problem is. Ten words about how big the problem is. Only one word about how good it is. How are you ever going to take back ground if your speech is dominated by the negativity and talking about all the things that could go wrong? This is not the way we're supposed to live. I'll share a story with you in the Bible. David and Goliath. David shows up, and all the Israelites are there, and they're hanging out, and he's going, what's going on? And all of them are like, oh my gosh, um, um, there's this big old giant, his name's Goliath. And I don't know how they got this, but there must have been some scouting report, or they're like online on like stats.com or something. They're like, all right, Goliath, he's nine feet, six inches. His spear weighs 75 pounds, a billion pounds. He's got armor. He can throw things across the room. This is who we're fighting against. All of them are experts on the problem and not experts on their king. I've met way too many people who are experts at the problems. I'll tell you why it won't work in the Bay Area. I'll tell you why it's too expensive. I'll tell you why you should plant somewhere else. I'll tell you why you won't be able to have the marriage you're supposed to have. I'll tell you why you'll never be able to live the life you're supposed to live. I'll tell you why this is never gonna work out. Oh, I'm an expert at telling you why. You wanna know why this church is happening the way it is? Because I had people tell me these things. Ephesians 3.20 says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Stop, think about this. I don't want people to tell me about the ways that I can fail and be experts in problems. I want people to know Ephesians 3.20. It's almost gonna be my new rule if you're gonna be my friend. Hey, what's Ephesians 3.20 say? I don't know, get out of here. <laughs> Can't hang with me. I need to know that you know, that we both know that God can do more than we can even ask or imagine. When we started this journey, Frank Tate here, where's Frank at? Frank's right here in the back. Frank, 
Frank, we'd, we'd get in a building, and he'd be like, too small. I'm like, Frank, we only have like 30 people on the team. This is like 150. We're going to do services. Too small. It's too small. I know. It's going to be too small. Then we go to Heather Farm. Too small. Too small. You know, we keep on going. Talia, you have no idea. Even like this, like as the fall, I was like, oh, we'll do two services. So he's like, nope, too small. I'm like, what? Phil Ritter, where's Phil at? Phil Ritter feels like last Sunday is like, told you this was too small. He didn't tell me the whole time. I'm like, oh, you're always right, Phil. I'm measuring more than we could ever ask. I get it, you know? I'll never forget when we were even praying for a building, we couldn't find a home. And I was, I mean, I was having anxiety. I was having, my teeth were exploding. And Michael Chi is sending me texts. Big things are coming. And it was even Las Lomas' sign. He's like, that's for us. They don't even know it. Big things are coming. The reason why I've been able to run the race, the reason why I've been able to do what I'm doing, the reason why the church is becoming what it is, it's not because I'm so great and strong. Actually, I'm pretty darn weak and I'm pretty fearful. But I've surrounded myself with people that says, we can do this. We can conquer this. You need people around you saying, you can do this. This, whatever this is in your life, this, this doesn't define you. This won't define your story. I want to read this for you, and this is some of you need to hear this real quick. Someday, some of you are going to tell your story and how you've overcome what you're going through, and it will become a part of someone else's survival guide. Keep going. And those people that are experts on why you should quit, the experts on why you should give up, man, let God finish his work. This is going to be a church and the reason why we're going to do even bigger things, the reason why we're going to see revival, the reason why you're going to see things happen in your life, you're not going to have a good life, not a bad life, you're going to have a, a great life, you're going to be a great disciple, is because you're going to have people around you saying, God's not done yet. If it's not good yet, he's not done yet. Romans, all things work together for the good of those who love him. So if you're in a storm right now, keep going. But man, I don't want to be a church when I say, hey guys, I'm believing for a building. And people are like, well, let me tell you the problem with that. The coating in Walnut Creek, about 80% of the buildings, you can't have a building there. And, and I don't know if you knew this, but the buildings here are going to be about $40 million. So uh, good luck trying to find a building in uh, Walnut Creek. Actually, let me use it this way. The building in Walnut Creek is uh, basically going to be your Goliath. That's what people tell me, okay? And I'm like, great. God kills Goliath. I'm, <laughs> you have no idea, but you just encouraged me. You, you, did, you did the opposite. Uh, I don't only think we're going to have a building. I've been dreaming lately. Somebody's just going to give us a building. You want to Because everything's God's. Everything's God's. Some of you, you got to hear this real quick. Whatever you're praying for, stop being fearful about it and say, God, I can't wait to watch how you do it. There were moments in this 17 months that were stolen from me. Oh, just stolen. Because I would have a few weeks where I would just circle and meditate on everything that could go wrong. There's not one time in scripture where it says, fix your mind on everything that could go wrong. <laughs> mm. Worst case scenario, it's good for the soul. Doesn't happen. I want to show you something real quick, and we're going to go into the next point. Joshua, he is chosen to lead the people in the promise. They need a different leader. Didn't work out with Moses. And this is what God tells Joshua, and I believe he tells us. It's a, it's, it's a powerful verse, and I hope you get it. It says this, be strong and courageous. Turn to your and say, be strong and courageous. Enemy man wants to make you weak and weary. God wants to make you strong and courageous. I love how my, my pastor says uh, when he talks about, uh, Chad talks about Joshua. He's like, Joshua's that guy when everybody saw the half cup uh, empty, he always saw it half full. There's something about being around those people. 
I'm just gonna be honest, do you wanna be around an Eeyore? Well, I just don't know what's gonna happen today. Or do you wanna be surrounded with Tiggers? Like, I can't wait to see what God's gonna do today. You know what I'm saying? I want seven of those around me, you know? Sorry, that's a terrible Tigger, but that's my best impression you're gonna get from me, okay? For you are the one that will lead these people to, the, to possess the land. Stop. Not just me, you. You're gonna be the one that's gonna lead people to possess their promises. Say, my spirit. My responsibility. Your life. It's your calling. Nobody can live it for you. Nobody can walk into the land for you. Nobody can pick the sword up and swing it for you. Nobody can pray the prayers that you're supposed to pray for you. You've got to become the person. I'm going to be strong and courageous. I'm going to say yes to my mantle. Yes to my responsibility when I'm supposed to be in this community. Goes on to say, be strong and very courageous. Dang, it keeps on going. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Everybody say everything. everything. Man, I won't be successful in everything I do. What does he say? What, what, what's, what's, the, what's the promise here? What's, what's the thing the Lord's showing us? Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. What am I supposed to think about day and night? Ephesians 3.20 or worst case scenario? Good job. We get smart people. Hey, even they... <laughs> The people in the front, the overachievers actually answered. Yeah, that's pretty cute, right? In class, sitting in the front. I'm impressed. I like that. Um, Ephesians 3.20. Wrote this down. Often we remember the things we should forget and forget the things we should remember. I want to say that to you. Often we remember the things we should forget and forget the things we should remember. Why is it it's so easy for us to forget Ephesians 3.20 but to remember our shame? Why is it so easy for us to remember how hard life is instead of remember the promise from God that nothing is impossible from him? We must start remembering the things God wants us to remember. We must meditate on the things God calls us to meditate on. If you want to have the before and after picture, if you want to get to the end of where God's called you, if you want the life God's called you, if you want to be everything God's called you to be, if you want to glorify his name, you're going to have to learn to remember the things God's called you to remember. He is the great reminder also. Second thing, and we've got about five minutes, I actually had five points, but you know how I do it. It is what it is. If you're brand new, this is what I do. I, I, I can preach for an hour. It's, it's a gift. All right. Um, so we're going to need to be able to talk differently. Even this week. I, I, again, I, when I saw that Numbers 13, that 300-something words were about the problem, and only 30 words were about the, actually the, the good part of it, it made me go, how do I process and how do I think? It, it's just a little... But man, if you're always talking bad, if people were around you and they were like... If somebody hangs out with you and they're done hanging out with you, are they cheerful and energized to go conquer the world or are they actually dried up and even more depressed to actually go live their day? It's just something I've been processing lately. When people meet me, when people around me, man, I pray. And I'm not trying to be some person like, hey, uh, everything's going to be okay. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. Here's what they said. All right, the land is good, but here's the deal. They have giants and uh, they have uh, an army and there's going to be a lot of these things and, and. Here's the deal. You're going to have a promise and there is an adversary. But greater is he is in you than who's after you. There is an adversary. It's not going to be easy. But man, it's the greatest decision of your life. Second point, my last point. We've got five minutes left. I want to make sure you, this comes across. The reason how this happened is that it wasn't by the talents of a few, but the sacrifices of many. It's a lot of people sacrificed. A lot of people gave. A lot of people being in children's ministry that have no calling for children's ministry, but they know that we need people in there or else we're going to break the law. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just keeping it real. I did children's ministry for two years. I had no grace for it. I was the worst children's worker on the planet. 
but my uh, mentor told me, hey, we need a three to one ratio, and I need you to go in there and you pass a background check. Go do it. I was like, okay, all right. We did the math. 73 people every Sunday it takes to do church. 73 people every Sunday. Not 10, not 5, 73. We need people setting up, tearing down, setting up the kids, tearing down, serving in kids, serving on worship team, serving on welcome team. You name it. There's so many different facets. And if you're a part of this, I believe that the reason why this is not even where we're done, but we're walking the promise is because some of you are going to start serving this next season. This is an amazing picture Jesus shows, and I'll, just, I'll make it simple and make it quick, but I think that us in our culture have to understand how much culture has affected the way we process life. It processes the way we ask for things from God. There's this moment, I'll just, I'll just say real quick, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, it's in Mark 10, 35, I'll invite the worship team to come up. Um, James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want for me to do? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Stop. Are you coming to God and asking him for things because culture has impacted the way that you ask for things? And here's what I mean. The Roman culture was about two things, power and position. That was the Roman culture. Those was the, number two, the top two things that the Roman culture was marked by, power and position. It was what class were you in and then how powerful were you. That was when you knew how great you were. And so they come to Jesus and they ask him a, a consumer cultural question. Can we have power and position? I was going to name this message. I was going to say the making of a great church. Greatness redefined was a title I was thinking about. Because right now these disciples desire greatness, but they're just so off on their definition of greatness. They're so off on how they can become great. They're so off on how their life can become everything it's supposed to be. And so Jesus doesn't rebuke their desire to be great. He doesn't rebuke the desire to be great. He wants you to be great. But he does redirect this desire of their heart. He goes on to say, and it's very simple. He goes on to say that you don't understand what you're going to do, what you're asking, the cup you're going to drink. And then when they heard this, they were indignant. So I love this. The the Bible says, if you think that you are not qualified to be a world changer, just read about the disciples, okay? Uh, it will encourage you. These guys were knuckleheads, okay? I mean, over and over again, they were just doing stupid stuff. I mean, Jesus would be like, I am full from not of this world. And then they're like, did somebody bring uh, Jesus food? He's like, that's not what I said, guys. I'm saying I'm being satisfied by doing the work of God. Like, all those kind of things. Like, God, they don't like you. Should we call fire and kill the whole city? No, guys. Oh, my. That's not what I'm trying to do right now. No, no. You know, he's like, hey, guys, I understand that you think the Roman Empire is about power and position, but that's not actually how we're great. And they're like, what? That's not how you're great? What? We're indignant. I mean, again, so if you feel like you're missing it, be encouraged. God was patient with the disciples. He's impatient with you. Does that sound good? He goes on to say, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great. Everybody say great. Among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want a great marriage? Start serving each other. You want great kids? Teach them to serve. You want a bad marriage? Get really selfish and self-centered. Become a consumer with your spouse. You want some bad kids? Get some selfish, self-centered kids. You want a bad church? get a lot of selfish, self-centered people in church. Think it's all about them. But you want a great church? Get a lot of people understanding it's about serving. It's about putting other people's needs before our own. And you would think that this would be something that would actually be a sacrifice, but it's actually a privilege. It's something that changes the way that you live life. And man, if we want to be a great church, we've got to have great servants. The, the, the Bible talks about 
The invitation to a great banquet is what the kingdom of God should be like. Everybody say great banquet. You may see great throughout the Bible. This was not my idea. This is a rhythm of the word. It's an invitation to a great banquet. And so I picture church sometimes as, if I could just be honest, the Bible says, taste and see the Lord is good. Taste and see the Lord is good. So when people come to church, the way I picture it sometimes is because it's a biblical picture, is that people are coming to a great banquet. And they're not eating physically, but they are eating spiritually. And we've created a great banquet and for them to experience and taste and see that God is good. But man, have you ever been to a restaurant with just bad servers? Just bad. Like, have you ever been to a restaurant where you feel like you're inconveniencing the waiter? Like, I, okay, so I have, a, I, have a, I have a Schotsky ring. It's a birth defect in my esophagus. Um, so basically my esophagus is the size of a little straw, okay? So I have to drink a lot of water when I eat food, all right? So I don't want to explain that to every server, but I drink a lot of water, so they have to refill my water. And you would think just, and it's not even, it doesn't take two refills, just the first refill. They'll be like, go grab it, fill it up, put it on the table. And I want to be like, I'm sorry, but I got a little birth defect. I'm not trying to ruin your life. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm inconveniencing you. You know, and also I will be honest, I'm a little high maintenance. I love sauce, aka I love ranch. Who's my, where's my ranch lovers at? So it doesn't matter what I'm ordering, but it's pizza. I'm like, yeah, can I get a big pizza and ten ranches? Thank you. <laughs> I like extra sides, and it's amazing. Like the restaurants that where the servers like, oh my gosh, hey, let me let me let me fill that up, and and the drinks only like three quarters down. Like it's only like right here, and they keep on filling it up. I'm like, this is my kind of restaurant. I'll be like, drink a little bit, and I'm like, hey, there they are again. Gosh, I love that person. I didn't even tell them, like, I love you, you're amazing. And they're like, what's wrong with them? I'm like, seriously, like, this is not normal. I love this place. I'll ask for some sides, and they'll just, I love it when, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been to McDonald's, and you ask for ketchups, and the person acts like the money's coming out of their own pocket when they give you the ketchups. <laughs> like, can I get some ketchups? Two. Could I get four? Oh, my gosh, I hope we can turn the lights on tomorrow at McDonald's. Here's four more. Six ketchups, you little ketchup hog, you know? Like, just give me the ketchups! But there's something about just the, the spirit of withholding. I'm like, I don't ever want to go back to that place. It's a terrible servant. It's a terrible server. Have you, have you ever been to a place where the servant or the waiter is sitting there and there's like seven people and they're, you know, they're like, all right, I'll take your order and I'll be first. I'm like, hey, so I'm going to have the, uh, uh, the filet mignon and I'll have it medium plus and I'll have the mashed potatoes and the green beans. Also mashed potatoes, I have a chicken allergy so there can be no chicken stock where I'm cooked at. I'm so sorry, but I'm deathly allergic. I'm high maintenance, I'm sorry. But literally, and so, yeah, okay, so, yep, mm -hmm, next person. Yeah, so I'll have the chicken and then I'll have the uh, green beans and then the next person's like, okay, so I'm going to have the lasagna and this is the server right now, writing nothing down. They're like, yep, mm-hmm, uh-huh, uh-huh. And by the fourth person, I'm like, I have no idea what this person is going to bring me. They're trying to impress me with like memorize. Have you ever seen this? They try to memorize everything. You don't got to impress me with memorizing everything. There's no memorization trophy here. I just want my steak cooked the way I want it. But sometimes I feel like in church, if I could just be honest, people walk in, they want to be a part of this. And if they feel like they're the inconvenience, man, we fail. Not one person is an inconvenience to us. Not one person, not one person who is maybe asking for a little too many refills for a season, but then you find out that they have a Schatzky ring. Or you find out that they were abused by their parents and they've got rejection wounds. Be patient with them. Let God re restore their rejection wounds. As a servant, we don't have to show off. We don't have to show off on how great we are and how well we know the word of God. Go ahead, ask me, what's, what's the last book in the Bible? What's the first book in the Bible? Genesis, Revelation, yeah, I'm good. 
Nobody cares. They don't. They don't care how much you know. Here's what they want to know. People are going to love me here. Am I going to find a relationship here? Am I going to be able to be restored here? As we move forward, the reason why this is happening is not because of anything flashy or anything. It's because the king of the universe, Jesus, died on a cross and he spoke life first. He's the first one to speak life. And he spoke it to Peter, a man who nobody believed in. He said, Peter, I'm going to build my church with you. That's speaking life to somebody. That's speaking a dream over their life that's way too big. The reason why we get to serve now is because Jesus served first. Lauren Daigle, she's a famous Grammy award-winning Christian artist, and she has this moment in her life she shares. She goes, people ask her, how did this happen? She would say her grandpa would call her into the living room. And she'd be like, Lauren, I want you to sing for everybody. And she'd be like, Grandpa, like, like, come on, sing. And she'd start singing for everybody. And her grandpa would say to Lauren, come on, Lauren, I've heard you, there's more in you. Come on, let it out. Let it out, Lauren. Sing for him. Come on, Lauren, I want to hear it. There's more in you, Lauren. And so she learned this boldness when she would sing. And you've ever heard Lauren Daigle sing, man, she absolutely just goes for it. She just didn't one day go, she had people going, there's more in you. Jesus said to Peter, there's more in you. And he says to the church today, there's more in us. There's more in your life. There's more in your promise. Become everything God called you to be. This season, this is how I'm going to walk my steps. Fear of man will lead you places. It will lead you places you never want to go, but faith in God will lead you places you never thought you could go. Man, I want faith in God. Will you bow your heads? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.